0: Hi, I'm Larry Castle here with Ken Brown for episode 44 of That's a Good Question. How important is the local church? Well, in today's episode, uh, it's re- the topic is related to what we looked at last week when we asked the question, why is the local church gathering so important? Uh, But with that question, we were mostly contrasting the necessity of physically gathering with the false notion Mm -hmm. that many Christians have that they don't really need a local assembly that is their church family. Um, As long as I'm being fed with the Word of God, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter whether this is through sources on the internet, um, whether it's through live streaming on Sunday morning, uh, podcasts of my favorite preachers, doesn't really matter. But as you reminded us last week, you simply cannot obey Hebrews 10, 25, right. 24 and 25 uh, if you're not meeting regularly physically with your church, not just any, you know, any church, your church. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the passage that tells us that we should not give up meeting right. together, use yep. the word together. Um, but it also tells us why we are to do that, and that is because it says we are to spur one another on to love and good works. Mm. And it also says that we're to encourage one another. Um, So you simply can't do that if you're not in the company of your brothers and sisters. Yeah, exactly.
1: And that's not to mention the dozens of one another passages, other one another commands Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. We've got things like love one another, accept one another, bear one another's burdens, serve one another, forgive one another. Mm -hmm. And these all uh, assume a level of involvement with one another that allows for serving. For example. I mean, how am I going to serve someone that I'm that I'm never with? Mm-hmm. And it also assumes interaction such that we might actually sin against each other and need to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And that, that relational dynamic takes place as we share life together.
0: Yeah. So we, we talked about some of the proposed substitutes for the full assembling of the Church mm-hmm. that, in effect, divided in ways that are inconsistent with the Bible's profile of the Church.
1: Yeah. Over the last few decades, churches have found creative ways to split. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be that the term church split would strike fear, yeah. because it connoted a, a controversy, mm-hmm. too often over something very trivial, where people took sides, could not come to an agreement, and then some went their own, their own way. Sometimes, then, starting a new church in town. In fact, there's a town in our area that has several Baptist churches in that town that were started that very way. Oh, my.
0: (laughs) So now a, a church split by design... Uh, rather than due to sinful stubbornness, yeah. can be a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've, uh, <laughs> you jo- you've heard people jokingly talk about uh, Baptist church planting, which, well, is, the, the, yes. which is the sinful that's split. That's the bad kind. Yeah. That's not what we're talking no, about. No. Um, a, a church split where you're intentionally breaking off a portion of the, the group yeah. to start a new church to yeah. spread. We, we know this because uh, the church we
1: lead is a product of that kind of a good split, right? Exactly, yeah. Our church is uh, what's sometimes called a daughter church, of a church at which I served for 16 years, Huron Baptist in Flat Rock, Michigan, in our area. And that church commissioned us and a few families uh, to start Community Bible Church 20 years ago. Can't believe that it's been that that long. And you and Julie... Uh, got word of our new church back then, joined with us. We were only 12, I mean. Nah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you guys joined with us when you were 12, and uh, we haven't been able to get rid of each other, so here we are <laughs> 20 years later. Try as but, we <laughs> Exactly. But seriously, what a blessing it is to have your and Julie's partnership all these years, and for our church to have been planted by design, mm-hmm. by a faithful and thoughtful, biblically thoughtful parent church in Huron Baptist, whose vision and faithfulness resulted in what the Lord has done here at CBC. But unfortunately, we have churches splitting for much less noble reasons. Mm. You don't see as much of this today, but for a few decades in our lifetimes, it was not unusual to see churches assemble, and I kind of have that in... in, Mm think of that in quotes, assemble at two different times on Sunday. One service called the contemporary, and the other service the traditional. Some of our listeners, viewers may be familiar with that. Maybe you've attended or attend a church like that. And the difference was music. Hmm. In effect, you really could have labeled those services, the younger people's service, the older people's service. Uh, This is why you don't see that as much now, though, Mm -hmm. because the older people have gradually passed off the scene. Mm. so that there's no one attending in a lot of these churches now, any longer the traditional service, and eventually there's then no need to have it, so really the younger people won by outlasting the older
0: people. Mm. Mm. <laughs> that, that division along generational lines really seems to violate what you see in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? We, we've got interaction there and ministry taking place between the older mm-hmm. and the younger, and as the older, presumably wiser generations are told to mentor the younger in places yeah. like Titus II? Absolutely,
1: indeed. Now, to be fair, the intention of the whole contemporary versus traditional was not to split along age divisions, but that really was completely foreseeable, mm, if, yeah. you, if you think about it. Right. I mean, who's going to go to which, which service, primarily? But making a division really of any kind. In the worship, gathering of God's people violates the nature of the New Testament assembly. Other ways in which this has happened, beyond the what are called the music wars uh, we mentioned last week, are multi-site campuses that some oh, yeah. churches have adopted. And the idea is this, a church grows, but rather than serving as a parent church that births a daughter church... They instead seek to somehow keep that new location as part of the one church. Some use the terminology, we are one church in three locations Mm -hmm. or one church in six locations. In addition to violating the necessity of the assembly, that kind of model compounds the error by adding celebrity preacher status and, Mm -hmm. and a component like that to it. The reason you don't simply start a new church with its own pastor is because the church is centered around a personality.
0: Yeah, I've, we've attended, uh, visited a church. We're trying to help our daughter find a, a church down mm. at school, and visited one. I didn't explicitly say it was that kind of a church, mm-hmm. but we got there, and it was one of those campuses where you, mm-hmm. you know, you're hoping the the preaching pastor is at your location that week, but they don't tell you in advance, and it's kind of like ro- church roulette, you know preacher roulette. You <laughs> get there and it's TV church that week.
1: What, yeah. what is up with that? Yeah. You know what, I just It was an odd experience. Yeah. I just can't I just can't imagine. But yeah, as you point out then it's going on around the country and it's centered around a personality, often a mm-hmm. hipster kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. who attracts people to himself and the church is built on that basis grows. Uh, or bloats, as one guy said. There's a difference between <laughs> <laughs> bloating and growing. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and oh, well, then, you know, it's that. different than yeah. spiritual, you know, growth. You know, mm-hmm. just having numbers and bloating are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. And if you're built on that really kind of shallow basis, how are you, how are you really got a solid spiritual foundation for people? So it, it bloats, it grows, uh, but not having him be the guy mm-hmm. to give the talk, which yeah. is... Often what it's referred to, you know, heaven forbid it be called a sermon, is just unthinkable. (laughs) That's so preachy. It is, too preachy. (laughs) Exactly. So some churches go to two services uh, for other reasons, not just the multi-site thing, uh, but they do it for years and even decades due to space constraints. Mm-hmm. But again, that divides the church, and really it would just be much better to break off some people and start a new church. Mm-hmm. And what all of these have in, in common is that they're handling growth not by addition of new churches, but by dividing up the existing churches. Mm. I see, yeah. But in the
0: New Testament, pattern is growth by addition, uh, like you're describing of churches, mm-hmm. uh, church planting, And that's because of the centrality, as we started to talk about last week, the centrality of the Church, Mm -hmm. the local assembly. Mm -hmm. So that's the question we want to answer today. How important is the local Church? And you started to
1: show that at the end of last week. Yeah. So I'll I'll pick up on that in a moment, but let's remind our listeners why we're dealing with this matter at this particular time. It's because we are apparently, Lord willing, nearing the end of the pandemic. Mm. Now, I have to throw in the disclaimer we all know that there are variants of the virus going around, so there are always these unknowns, but it appears that's the direction that, that we're heading in. And the vaccine and the availability of vaccines is playing a large role in that, so that uh, people can get that and then be protected from getting the virus uh, at a 95% or more rate, mm-hmm. is what I understand. So we at our church have set the end of May for our congregation to return to in-person gathering and it means that we all need to start weaning off of live stream because live stream like these other models that we've talked about is is not a substitute for the gathering of the church i
0: like the term you use weaning so start small just put pants on as you watch from the couch the first week Add shoes to it, and then <laughs> that's <good. laughs> go outside, start the car one week, then come back in and watch. That's how you do like exercise, it. right? I you like get up first it. and you I put like your it. shoes on. I don't on. know how you do exercise. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so, okay, so so uh, where there, you're saying there is no digital substitute right. for the gathering of the church. Yeah. And we need, to do, uh, you know, we need to do so just as soon as possible, get back to right. the regular gathering. And so we've asked our members to target, like you said, the end of May. But why is the church so important? Why are we making such a big deal of this? Mm. Uh, to put it in the, the terms of our question today, uh, how important is the local church?
1: Mm. And we ended last week by talking about an important passage in First Timothy 315 that refers to the church as God's family, God's household, it refers to it as the pillar and the foundation of the truth, mm-hmm. and those are, I'm sure everybody would agree, lofty descriptors, and we showed that in the context, those those phrases are not referring to what's sometimes called the universal church, but rather the, the local church, a local mm-hmm. church like ours, or a local church like any other that's proclaiming the gospel and advancing Christ's mission. Now for those who didn't hear last week's episode, I encourage you to listen to that explanation that we gave of 1 Timothy 3.15.
0: Yeah, and I'll put right over Pastor Ken's head right now, if I do the magic properly, there should be a link to that. Okay, excellent.
1: <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So now we can pick up with starting to describe from scripture just how important the local church is in the mission of God that the Lord is carrying out in, in his world. And uh, I want to uh, to really uh, point out two uh, important things about the church and the Lord's mission in this explanation. Two things. First, that the two started together, the church and the mission. Those two things started in the New Testament together. That's first. And then secondly, to show that they advanced together, hmm. that you don't have the one, the church, you don't have the mission without the other. You don't have the mission without the church. You should never have a church that's not about the mission. So mm-hmm. the first of those two things, they they started together. Uh, the church started at Pentecost. I'll show in a little bit that so did the, the Great Commission, the mission mm-hmm. that's been assigned to us. But first, let me try to show that the church itself started on the day of Pentecost. Now, what is Pentecost? Uh, Pentecost um, is from... You know, if you have a a pentagram, uh, the Pentagon, where the Defense Department is housed, has five sides. Pentagon's better illustration. Okay, yeah, (laughs) I I can see the wheels (laughs) turning there, as you. (laughs) That's not the right example. Not pentagram, Pentagon. (laughs) Yeah, and so Pentecost means fifty, and it's it's a feast in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, that occurred fifty days after Passover, and so when you read in the fifth book of your New Testament, the book of Acts. Uh, It is describing now what happened after the work of Jesus had been completed on earth. He came, he taught, he lived, he lived a perfectly righteous life, he died for our sins on the cross, he was raised, he ascended, and the book of Acts picks up then with now what happens after that. And in the early chapters of the book of Acts, Acts 2 in particular, you find the first followers of Christ gathered together in Jerusalem on, it says, the day of Pentecost. It's giving you this marker that says this is 50 days after uh, Passover, really 50 days after Christ was crucified, mm-hmm. because we know he was crucified at, at Passover. So what's happening is uh, you've got the day of Pentecost gathered in Jerusalem, as happened annually every year, And the passage says in Acts chapter 2 that there are Jews gathered there from every nation, Mm -hmm. it says. Mm -hmm. So you have this large swelling of the population temporarily in uh, Jerusalem for this uh, feast of of Pentecost. And an amazing thing happens. The passage, if you read, and I encourage you to read, Acts chapter 2, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and that. They were able, they were given the ability, the apostles were given the ability to speak to the crowd in languages that the, the apostles had never learned, but that those from all of these nations spoke and understood, and they were amazed that these guys could speak there, could speak mm-hmm. their language miraculously. So a miracle happens. Now, just very quickly, why did that miracle happen? As you read going forward in the book of Acts, you find this phenomenon of the Holy Spirit coming upon a group of people, uh, or 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 being demonstrated to a group of people, uh, in this miraculous way, a total of four times. The first one is Acts chapter two, the Day of Pentecost, where you have Jews gathered, mm-hmm. and the next one, and then I'll try to pull these together and show the significance. I think this is important. Yeah. The next one's chapter eight, Acts chapter eight, and you have there. Uh, the conversion of a Samaritan. Now, here's why that's important. The Jews really despised the Samaritans. You may remember that. Mm -hmm. Because the Samaritans, going back to the Old Testament, were the products of interbreeding. They were half-breed Jews, not not full-blooded Jews. Uh, And so they were despised by the Jews. That's what gave such uh, poignancy to Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that really, that really smacked the, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, when Jesus pointed out you know, that the, religious, the, the priests go by, mm-hmm. the guy that needs help, but here comes a Samaritan, and the Samaritan actually does wants. the right thing. Yeah. He does the right thing. So chapter 8, these half-breed Jews are brought into this new thing, the, just like on the day of Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Two chapters later, chapter 10, you now have another entity, another group uh, that existed, and about whom there would be questions as to whether or not they fit into the church. And that is a group called the Hmm. God-fearers. It tells us in Acts chapter 10 that there was a man named Cornelius in a town called Joppa, and he was a God-fearer. And when we read that God-fearer, Many of us would read that as he's just a God-fearing person, just mm. a general description. Of kind, sort of the American, kind of pious. the yes. American God-fearing concept. Exactly, exactly. But that's not what's being said. That's actually a term to refer to a Gentile, but a particular type of Gentile, a Gentile who observed Jewish customs.
0: Mm. So not just God-fearing as in theist. Yes. But someone who believed in the
1: God of Abraham, exactly, Isaac and Jacob, exactly, but as and a Gentile, sure, but as a Gentile, gotcha. And so, what about that? You know, what about Gentiles? You know, okay, well, you know how Gentiles, where yeah. you have the court of the Gentiles sure. at the temple, how Gentile dogs were viewed mm-hmm. by the Jews. What about a guy like Cornelius? Well, the Lord gives a vision to the apostle Peter, and he tells Peter, "Go and give the gospel. I'm going to." send you directly to Joppa, and to this man's house, and you're to give him the gospel, even though he's a Gentile. And this vision, many of you know, uh, Peter has this vision of this sheet, and it's the four corners of the earth, you know, the Mm -hmm. east, west, north, and south, then representing that with all sorts of animals, clean and unclean animals within Mm -hmm. it. And Peter is told, kill and eat, That that this is all okay. That what was in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, now uh, considered unclean for for uh, really ceremonial, really uh, didactic teaching reasons, to just show that God wants His people to have a separation about them. Mm. And so So you're telling me not all the dietary
0: laws are because of the you know God's perfect diet. And so
1: (laughs) yeah, and so the Daniel diet. Right, you know, right. or is it the Esther diet? I forget. I forget that there's there's diets. several of them. There's a bunch of these. That not that there, are there aren't
0: any elements to yeah, those that sure. would be that way. But the but... Bible
1: wasn't really trying to write you a diet book. No. Okay. <laughs> the Bible's not a diet book. Gotcha. Write that down. Yeah, exactly. But now Peter, you know, who's immersed in that kind of thinking—that mm-hmm. we are separate from the Gentiles—is now saying, "No, go preach to him and treat him as an equal," and he does, mm-hmm. and and. Cornelius and his house are converted, yeah. and they are given the Holy Spirit. And a demonstration of that is that there is this speaking in other tongues that takes place. Mm-hmm. And then the final group, Acts chapter 19. You know, so you've got the Jews in Acts chapter 2. You've got the Samaritans, half breed Jews in Acts chapter 8. You've got the Gentile, but who, who observes Jewish customs, a God fear in Acts chapter 10. And now you just got your garden variety Gentile. Mm-hmm. Okay? And P- Acts P- 19. Pagan. pagan. Here's the gospel. Mm -hmm. Same thing in in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 19, and you have the same thing happen. So four times you have it happen, and all four times it happens where you have these groups, and the idea is to show that each of these is equally now brought into this body, this thing called the church. Mm -hmm. So the Bible teaches what forms the church is this, something called the baptism of the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Mm -hmm. So if you could identify where the baptism of the spirit first happened, you could also identify where the church started because it's Mm -hmm. formed by this thing called the baptism of the spirit. I I
0: think the uh, context you provided leading up to citing that verse, we were all baptized, Mm -hmm. By one spirit um, helps it's, I think it's very helpful to then understand we all who yeah you exactly know, well, all of these group, very all these various diverse
1: groups exactly
0: yeah that's yeah very, that's right very helpful
1: Ethnicities, everybody we are all now part of this one body, by this one mm-hmm. spirit but it's the baptism of the spirit. So let's talk for a minute about when the baptism of the Spirit first happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go earlier now into the book of Acts, very first chapter, And Luke, who wrote Acts, is recapitulating what happened at the end of the Gospel of Luke, at the end of Matthew, and he's bringing us back up to speed in the first chapter to say, in effect, this is where we left off. And he quotes Jesus at the the beginning, in fact, verse 5, Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. He quotes Jesus as saying, John baptized the water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit in a few days. So when Jesus says this at the end of his ministry, before he ascends to the Father, this baptism of the Spirit hasn't happened yet. It's something future. Mm -hmm. And then Luke goes on to quote Jesus as telling them, go into the city and wait, the city being Jerusalem, and wait until you receive the power. Now I've already talked about what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on them, and and you see this happen. Jesus had promised that it's going to happen. So as you think about the first time Spirit baptism occurred, Jesus is saying that it hadn't occurred, it's going to occur in the future Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in a few days, he says. So it hadn't occurred in Jesus' time, it hadn't occurred prior to Jesus' time, it's happening in a few days after that, that's one. And then we see the next chapter, Pentecost, it happens. Now as you move forward, and you go to uh, the house of Cornelius again, Acts chapter 10, and Peter going to the house of a Gentile. And doing what he did, preaching the gospel, and then them coming to Christ. He now has to come back to Jerusalem, the Bible Mm -hmm. records, in chapter 11. And he has to explain this. Mm -hmm. Because, as you might imagine, this is going to be controversial, this is gonna be shocking, surprising, perhaps even cause anger for, for some people, just really disorient them to their whole mm-hmm. way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So he goes back, and you can read in Acts chapter 11, as he goes back to the church in Jerusalem, and he explains, now, this is what happened. And what's interesting is, when you get to verses 15 and 16 of Acts chapter 11, Peter says that the Spirit came upon them just as he did with us, mm. and this is the phrase he adds, at the beginning. Mm. So where's the beginning? Yeah. The same phenomenon that happened to us at Pentecost that was future to Jesus' ascension is the same thing that happened to Cornelius in his house. So Peter has pinpointed this was the beginning. If you put Mm -hmm. all those time markers together, Pentecost is the beginning of the church. The church started on the day of Pentecost. So that's one. Mm -hmm. But then I say that the Great Commission started on that day as well. And so I'd like to take a few minutes to (laughs) explain that. So you all may remember that Jesus comes to the end of his earthly ministry. He's died. He's raised, he is now giving final instructions to his first followers, and you get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, for example, as 28 chapters, the last couple of verses, last two verses of the Gospel of Matthew are Jesus issuing what we call the Great Commission. And he says, I want you to go now and make disciples of all nations. He's telling the apostles, go now, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And so uh, Jesus tells them to do this, uh, and he uses a key word there that we'll come back to in a minute, baptizing. So for our listeners, if if you're able to, if you're driving, don't don't do this, but but write down or just remember the word baptizing. Those are Pastor Rich's good
0: disclaimers <laughs> and thrown in here. Pastor Rich, Pastor Rich, those hand, on coverage. Guy. Yeah, <laughs>
1: there you go. I don't want to have any liability. I think for of that. him
0: every time I do something for children's ministry, and I say, now I'm going to cut this, but ask your parents don't first try if you use scissors. Home. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So we did that with an example (laughs) yesterday, this past week, with uh, Carrie teaching.
1: So if you get the time sequence down, you know this is Jesus at the end, and he's ascending to the Father. But just before he does that, he gives these instructions, and he says, "Make disciples of all nations, baptizing." So remember that word baptizing. Mm
0: -hmm. Now
1: you'll remember. Feel free to take. uh, (laughs) You'll remember that there's more than one gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them cover the the life of Jesus, and many of them cover the same events in the life of Jesus. All four of them cover uh, his death, his burial, his his resurrection. Uh, But Luke, for example, also records Jesus giving, after his resurrection, his final instructions in Luke's final chapter, just like Matthew did in his final chapter. Here are Jesus' final words. And he gives some details that Matthew didn't give. And Jesus says in Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter twenty-four, and beginning in verse forty-seven, Jesus says this: that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be preached in my name to all nations. This is giving the great, what we call the great commission, mm-hmm. but giving some more details: repentance and forgiveness of sins. And Jesus says, but stay in the city. He tells them until you receive the power to begin doing this mission that I'm giving you. Now, the details that I want us to get from that, with Matthew, it was this word baptizing. With, with Luke, it's this content of the preaching. It's going to be repentance and forgiveness of sins. Go in the city and wait, the city of Jerusalem and wait. We're going to see baptizing, repentance, forgiveness of sins here in a minute. Day of Pentecost comes. They're in the city waiting, like Jesus said. Holy Spirit comes upon them like Jesus promised. And then everybody's wondering, wow, what is this phenomenon? What has happened? Peter gets up to speak. Hmm. In Acts chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14, Peter begins to give a sermon. And uh, I tell people I know he's I know he's a baptist because it's a long sermon. It goes all the way <laughs> it goes all the way down to verse 36. But he gives an can't, explanation. Can't
0: be baptist if you think that's a long sermon. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. I can show people you people you, know, <laughs> you hear them every week. Long compared, <laughs> long compared to the others that are included in the text. <laughs>
1: And he gives this explanation. Mm-hmm. And when he finishes the explanation, verse 37, here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, that they were cut to the heart. Mm-hmm. And they said, Brothers to the apostles, what should we do? And Peter says in the next verse, Acts 2:38, he says, Repent. Well, Jesus said the content of the Great Commission preaching is going to be repentance. Mm-hmm. And Peter says, Repent. And then he says, and be baptized. Matthew said, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So we've got the great commission starting here, the Mm -hmm. baptizing, the repent. And then Peter goes on to say in Acts 2.38, he says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And that was, again, Mm -hmm. what Jesus said. The content of the preaching is going to be repentance and forgiveness of of sins. Uh, So what do you have starting here? the Great Commission. Same day, day of Pentecost, that the church has started. They start at the same time. Mm. Now, uh, I said I want to show two things. They start at the same time, and then they progress together at the same Mm. time. And so uh, let me do that, okay? All right. Let's go for it. Good. As you progress reading uh, through the book of Acts, and those who are part of our church, by the way, later this year uh, our next book study is going to be through the book of acts so heads up on that be a good time for you to start start reading yeah. so you'll hear uh, some more of this but as you go through the the book of acts the 28 chapters that comprise it what you find is what i've said at the beginning day of pentecost beginning of the church beginning now of the the great commission both at the same time but what's interesting is you see them both now moving forward together mm-hmm. and Luke, who wrote Acts, gives in the very first chapter, chapter 1 and verse 8, he says that Jesus gave these final instructions and said this, you will be my witnesses. But what's interesting is he he, he records Jesus as saying, you'll be my witnesses in these geographic areas. And he mentions what they are, Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So it's going to be ever-increasing. Mm-hmm. starting in Jerusalem, wait in the city, which they do, but then it's going to go out from there. Well, in those 28 chapters, lo and behold, that's what you find. You find this progress from going out of Jerusalem, the first several chapters, all the way through chapter uh, chapter 7, it's confined to Jerusalem. But then after that, starting in chapter 8, it starts to move out into Judea and Samaria. And then after that, it starts to move out into the further reaches of the Roman Empire. And what Luke does, very interestingly to me, in the book of Acts is he provides seven places where he just keeps track. (laughs) So in the very first chapter, he said, this is going to be this geographic expansion, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria ends of the earth and i'm going to show you how that advanced i'm going to show you how that happened and give you these progress reports
0: and i'm going to you're going to go through these i'm assuming
1: just i'm going to mention yeah well i'm
0: going to i'll put in the notes in the uh notes underneath this the those references because this is so important to understand how this Mm. fits together Mm. and uh so it'll be there if you would like to so you don't have to keep stopping and rewinding to hear what he says i'll put the references there excellent and you can pull those up and look at them after the fact yeah
1: thank you good Mm -hmm. yeah So uh, I'll mention what they are, he gives seven of them, seven progress reports, and he gives uh, the very first one in chapter 2. Day of Pentecost is starting in Jerusalem, and he gives, okay, here's the status of the church now. Uh, How many people came to Christ? He gives that, 3,000 came to Christ on that one day, and he talks about the fact that they continued in verse 42 in the Apostles' Doctrine, uh, and in the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer, Uh, and so... Uh, He gives the status, but down in verse 47 is the progress report. Uh, And he says uh, that they continued to grow, they enjoyed the favor of all the people, Mm -hmm. is what it says. So what's the status? It started, it's in Jerusalem, all is going well, in effect. Mm -hmm. The next one's in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, and it says that the number of disciples continued to, to increase, but they're still in Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 9, by the time we get to chapter 9 and verse 31, though, now it's moved out to Judea and Samaria, and it, and it mentions the churches hmm. in Judea and, and Samaria. So it's moving out geographically, but also churches now are being started, and the, the, the churches are being strengthened as they, they go along. So as
0: it moves out, it's not just Joe Christian here, yeah. Joe Christian there, They're everybody's gathered. doing their own thing. They're
1: gathered mm-hmm. into churches, exactly. Mm-hmm into local assemblies that are the pillar and foundation of the truth yeah exactly yeah. right. so you've got the other ones as Pastor Larry said he's going to give these references but uh, the fourth of the seven is in chapter 12 and verse 24 and then chapter 16 and verse 5 19 and verse 20 and the very last uh, two verses of the entire book of Acts chapter 28 verses 30 and 31 says that Paul now has uh, is in Rome and that's where it ends with Paul in Rome the capital mm. of the of the Empire. There's a group that some of you may have heard of called Acts 29. Mm -hmm. Acts 29 is a church planting group, and they have caught this vision, uh, rightly, that these are our marching orders, and this is to be the progress of the church in carrying out the Lord's mission through the planting of churches. And so there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and it's saying that the book, in effect, is still being written Mm -hmm. because we are carrying out that very same thing, continuing what we see in the book of Acts. So the, the goal of reproducing churches can be seen in what I just said, but just to bring the focus in a little bit tighter, and we're almost done. But it can be seen in the first and second missionary journeys of Paul. In his first missionary journey, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, he took Barnabas with him, but they followed a, a very clear plan. They were commissioned by their home church in Uh, in a city called Antioch, in an area called Syria. And they were commissioned, so like I was commissioned 20 years ago by our parent church, they were commissioned, Mm -hmm. go and plant other churches. And they established a new church in another area, Pisidia. And from there they reached out to neighboring cities and established churches out of the church in Pisidia that they had planted. They planted a church in Iconium, one in Lystra, one in a town called Derby. Now, okay, you see that plan, and doing it one time doesn't mean that's a pattern. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the second missionary journey, guess what? You see the same thing. That's Mm -hmm. recorded in Acts chapter 16 uh, and 17 and 18, Acts 16 through 18. And he establishes a mother church in Ephesus and commissioned a trained follower, a trained disciple, uh, a man named uh, Epaphras, uh, to establish churches in other cities, in Colossae, in Laodicea, in Hierapolis. higher op- So with all of that, the church starts on the day of Pentecost, so does the Great Commission. They move forward together. You see the pattern in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, that it is centered upon establishing churches in order for the mission to go forward. You put all of that together. Here's how you can summarize it. There should never be a missionless church. Mm-hmm. Every church should be about then, hey, we want to see that expanding vision and we want to be a part of that and we want to play our role in that in every way we can. And there should never be a churchless mission either. Mm. That persons should not see themselves as engaging in missions if they are not also, in some way, aiding the establishment of churches.
0: Mm hmm. I, uh, I read a book last year by a non-believer who's a historian mm. and talked about the spread of Christianity in, you know, in the first century mm. and laid out, like you did just now, mm. Um Probably better than I, I had heard in most, uh, with the exception of what you' laid out there and you've done that for us Pre- before the church company here. Accepted. yeah right yeah yeah. <laughs> I'm not just saying that to be nice. I really appreciate the way you so clearly have laid that out for our church family multi- on multiple occasions mm-hmm. now in my hearing. Um, but this unbelieving historian laid it out very well like that, from looking at the book of Acts like mm-hmm. you said, and uh, better than oftentimes I've heard in yeah. what is supposed to be biblical mm-hmm. teaching about, uh, the book of Acts, mm. you know, not recognizing the centrality of the church yeah. that, that you That's just described. What, right. So thanks so yeah. much for mm-hmm. laying that out for us. Uh, thank you at home for watching. Uh, every week, you know, I remind you to make sure that you've subscribed to our channel, hit the notification bell, and give this video a thumbs up if you found it helpful, and that helps other people. It comes across their uh, suggested videos then. And then, uh, as well, we Put links to these on our Facebook page. If you see that there, like it and share it. That just helps this to spread to more people and get this such important information for uh, the, the church to understand. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you in next week's episode. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at cbctrenton.com, or text it to us at 97000.